This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 816, today, Tuesday, October 12th, and in studio with us, we have a guest from St. Thomas Rutherford, and oncology is, I guess, your focus of practice Dr. Lindsay Keith with us. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you. So I guess starting off this morning, uh, of course, October is known for what breast cancer awareness month. And so we're hearing a whole lot more about breast cancer and awareness of it all throughout October. But uh, start off telling us a little bit about your background. What made you want to go into this area of study? Sure. Um, Well, I I determined when I was in high school that I wanted to go to medical school. Um, Of course, at that point, you don't really know exactly where you're going to end up. But um, throughout my training, uh, medical school and then um, and residency training, I realized that I really like taking care of women uh, and specifically in the surgical field. Uh, I felt my, myself called to um, breast surgery because it, again, it's, it's uh, helping women and, and breast cancer surgery at that, helping them through a very difficult uh, time in their life. Um, and I also realized that breast cancer, when caught early enough, is completely curable. Uh, and that's a that's a great thing. Now, I, I guess one of the misnomers is that men can also get breast cancer of some sort. Is it the same type of breast cancer, or, or what is it? It's certainly not a misnomer. It's definitely true. One percent of all uh, breast cancers are diagnosed in males. Um, uh, m- many times that's uh, not many times, but sometimes that's related to a gene mutation. And so we've learned a lot over uh, over the years about uh, genetic mutations and, and what people are predisposed to. Um, and sometimes when men get breast cancer, uh, it is related to a gene mutation, but not always. Um, again, some of those are sporadic breast cancers uh, or the, the kind that just happened in the general population. Um, and they are typically the same type of breast cancer when we talk about types and subtypes of breast cancer uh, that are occur in women as well and they're treated very similarly yes so in working with women over the years tell us some you know some of the success stories where somebody came in and they said you know i had a lump that i found but um, i didn't know it would lead to this and you were able to to treat it early enough to where it was a very successful ending Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I, I have too many success stories to talk about, fortunately, uh, in that uh, when it is caught early enough, it is a curable cancer. Um, sometimes when people come in with a mass, though, that they feel, um, those are usually a little bit more advanced, uh, depending on uh, many factors, uh, but they are still uh, potentially curable uh, in that case. Um, the best time to catch it is actually from a screening mammogram, which means the patient wasn't having any symptoms at all, didn't feel any masses in the breast, weren't, weren't having any skin changes, anything like that. So um, when somebody comes in with a mass, it's usually a little bit more advanced, but still, again, uh, mostly or usually curable. So I'm guessing it's still important to feel for that mass, but yet even more so important to get, what, an annual mammogram? How often do you do that? For, for the average risk um, or general population uh, 40, at 40 years old and once a year thereafter, many of the um, governing bodies in, in uh, all, all different, you know, American College of Radiologists, American Society of Breast Surgeons, American College of Surgeons all recommend uh, starting mammograms at 40 years old and once a year after that. Uh, the only one that's different is the United States Preventative Health Task Force, which is, say, 50 in every other year. But uh, unfortunately, I still see those recommendations um, 
or, uh, followed and uh, you know many times things are missed um, but yes that's the current guidelines um, that I follow is for average risk starting at 40 and once a year thereafter um, but there are people um, in the population that are at a higher than average risk for breast cancer and sometimes screening starts even earlier than that what is the youngest patient you've seen so far with breast cancer 24 wow that that's personally pretty young then yes uh, and it that one was gene mutation related um, but I've certainly seen um, a 30 year old without a gene mutation um, 32 35 you know 40 it's not uncommon actually for me to have patients get their first mammogram at 40 years old and actually um, have some change that they very likely had been there for a while just didn't know it because they hadn't had any screening before that does breast cancer just happen or is there something that people can do that you know to steer away from getting breast sure. cancer or is there a sure. contributing life factor that we need to look out for sure um prevention is uh it's kind of a hard thing to talk about because it's it's so multifactorial based on what we know right now uh, the only thing that we know for sure that decreases your risk of getting a breast cancer if you have a gene mutation is prophylactic mastectomies but that's something that needs to be considered um, uh, on a personal level uh, with your uh, treating physician um, but in terms of prevention, the best thing, actually, the, the, the best thing that has the most data is obesity. Um, obesity is strongly tied to um, really all cancers uh, and, and all uh, diseases, but specifically breast cancer um, because it, uh, many of them are estrogen-driven. Um, uh, estrogen is stored in body fat, and so the higher uh, amount of body fat that you have, uh, the higher estrogen exposure you have. Uh, and therefore, that's one of the reasons it's directly tied to, one, development of breast cancer, and two, worse outcomes over time if you had breast cancer or had it in the past. Again, Dr. Lindsay Keith with us this morning. Now, you do surgery as well. That's one of your focuses. Mm -hmm. um, when, when do you go in to do surgery? I mean, at what point during that stage of cancer do you say, all right, now's the time? Um, it, my, my goal is always to get people uh, into surgery as, as fast as possible if it's appropriate. Now, there are certain subtypes of breast cancer that actually do better long term if you um, treat with chemotherapy first. And there's really kind of two main types uh, that that's true for. Um, but my goal is always to, it, when surgery is indicated first, um, to approach that as quick as possible. But that being said, everybody's cancer is 100% completely different, uh, and so are their personal situations. And so we have to talk to each other about that, and um, I give patients options, and they get to choose most of the time uh, what they do and don't want to go through. For those who have had breast implants performed or put in is that something that puts them at higher risk or does that even factor into it for breast cancer no uh there there's there's a lot of fear of that in the community and of, of course a lot of buzz in the media about that um but breast breast implants themselves do not increase the risk for developing breast cancer uh, of course, the buzz in the media is about the uh, breast implant-associated ALC, or, or uh, anaplastic large-cell lymphoma, which is an extremely rare um, um, disease process, but it, it is has been linked to textured implants, which at this point are not even being used anymore due to the degree of inflammation that they cause, and the, the thought is that the inflammation is what causes that disease process. Usually, which uh, surgery to remove the implants as well as the capsule that forms around implants alone is curative of that. And what about other things like lifestyle? 
for example, smoking, mm-hmm. does that contribute to getting breast cancer? Sure, as well as, again, pretty much every cancer. Um, obesity, smoking, uh, excessive alcohol use, all of those are tied to uh, breast cancer especially, but um, essentially all cancers also. Now you hear about those who say, you know, breast cancer ran in my family. My mm-hmm. mom had it, my aunt had it, grandmother had it, sure. whoever had it. Yeah. Uh, and, and some women choose electively to go ahead and remove their breast out of concern and partly out of fear, I'm sure. Sure. Um, so concern, absolutely. But um, the good news is, again, uh, with more information over time, there's there's risk calculators that will actually um, take all of those factors as well as personal factors for the patient uh, into account and kind of gives it, with an algorithm, it gives you a lifetime risk of breast cancer. Um, and so for some patients, uh, their average risk based, based on those factors is, is lower than or equal to the general population. But if that risk is over 20 to 25 percent, then sometimes high-risk breast cancer screening is indicated uh, and usually involves the use of um, uh, mammograms and and MRIs um, alternating. Uh, And so for some patients who actually have gene mutations that put their risk in the 40 to 80% range over their lifetime, clearly it makes sense to prophylactically uh, pursue surgery to prevent a breast cancer. So kind of walk us through and compare, let's say somebody today in their mid-40s is diagnosed with breast cancer and they remember back when their mom had breast cancer Mm -hmm. and all the pain that their mom went through in the recovery process. Compare that to today. I mean, Mm -hmm. is there a big difference in treatment? Huge difference. Um, Really before, uh, around 1970 and before that, um, the only treatment option available for all breast cancers was called a radical mastectomy. Uh, and and to be truthful, that involves using uh, removing the breast, you know, both uh, pectoralis muscles, all of the lymph nodes involved, and it left a very uh, morbid, uh, unsightly scar and really um, hurt patients. But we fortunately have learned over time that um, surgery alone is not enough to cure all breast cancers, and so doing a bigger, more involved surgery does not make people live longer. So fortunately, that uh, practice was abandoned um, and, and, and for the most part uh, in around the 1970s, early 1980s. And so yes, uh, options are completely different now. Um, uh, usually, we're actually doing less surgery uh, for breast cancer, and I'm not talking about not doing it at all, but uh, less involved surgery. We've learned over time that uh, we can still help people without hurting them long-term. So are they, I guess, in today's times when you get that diagnosis, does this automatically mean you're gonna lose your breast? No, absolutely not. Actually. Most, most of the time you don't need to lose your breast at all. Um, now there, there are, uh, when we, that, that's technically called breast conservation therapy uh, versus mastectomy. Uh, and they are, they do involve different things most of the time in terms of uh, sometimes radiation, sometimes chemotherapy, sometimes just an anti-estrogen medication also called endocrine therapy. So uh, there are other options and we have the, the longer um, I've do, I'm doing this, we, you know, we have more information over time that there's actually things, there are certain patients and certain types of breast cancer that we can be a little bit less aggressive for. Again, Dr. Lindsay Keith with us. Now, I know you practice here at St. Thomas Rutherford for surgeries. Where else do you practice? That's that's it. So this is where you focus, right here, Murphy's. Correct, yeah. Are patients surprised when they come in to learn that, you know, there are better, newer options available today when, when yes. you're going through this treatment? 
Yes, most of the time what happens is, um, and I, I separate the exam room from our you know cancer discussion room. I have them go into a completely different room, so it just feels a little bit more personal. Um, but when we go in and have that about an hour-long discussion, uh, most of the time at the end of it, people are like, I had no idea <laughs> that I didn't have to lose my breast for this. Uh, I had every intention of removing both of my breasts, but now at this point, um, I, th I think that I'll keep it. Yeah. So, and I think that's that's a good thing, um, but uh, ultimately, I, I give patients the uh, information about their particular cancer, uh, walk them through each surgical process or each surgical option, and ultimately, they get to make the decision about what they do and don't want to go through. So, when you have that conversation, and you're, I guess that's when you're giving the diagnosis of what's actually happening here. Mm -hmm. uh, are you seeing moms in there with? their daughters are you seeing husbands in there what, what do you usually see and, and how does that usually go um, breast cancer affects the whole family um, whether it's uh, the spouse um, children uh, even extended family and so when they when they come in for a cancer discussion with me uh, many times it's a spouse that's there um, a sister a friend a relative somebody that may or may not have been through it before uh, but usually I recommend absolutely that they bring somebody just another set of ears um, because a lot of times when people when patients hear the word cancer um, pretty much everything is else is not heard so it really helps to actually have another set of ears uh, no matter who that is I always recommend that they bring somebody so before we go through the different symptoms, things to look out for, mm -hmm. kind of walk us through what happens from from diagnosis to, you know, end of surgery, and this sure. is what's going to happen next. Sure. Well, that's a... Um that's a quite a variable answer, but in general, um, if patients come in with a screening mammogram that was abnormal, what typically happens next is a diagnostic mammogram plus or minus an ultrasound, and that will kind of look at the uh, area of concern a little bit more um, uh, clearly and a little bit more uh, uh, an investigative approach. At some point, though, if th something really is suspicious, then they'll have a biopsy. There's many ways to do a biopsy. Uh, the biopsy basically just gets a little piece of tissue. We send that off to the pathologist, and then they make a diagnosis. I call patients with that diagnosis if I'm the one that did the biopsy, or else sometimes they come to me with a diagnosis already. Um, but typically what happens after that is we have that about an hour-long discussion. I provide them options um, uh, and, and tell them what needs to be done for their uh, cancer. Sometimes patients go to the medical oncologist at that point. Uh, and then sometimes, most of the time, they go to surgery first. Uh, so we do whatever surgery there is. I usually see them one to two weeks after surgery, and at that point we have the final pathology. We know the next steps, and I get them on to the other people that also aid in their care, which is typically a medical oncologist or a radiation oncologist. And I guess that hardest part is just waiting to find out, you know, well, do I still have cancer and, and what's going to happen? Correct. Um, many times people come to me after their first post-op appointment or their first post-surgery appointment saying, am I cancer-free? <laughs> and I would uh, absolutely love to tell people that they're cancer-free, and I'm not being pessimistic here, but the truth is I can't know that for at least five years um, because there are certain types of breast cancer that um, unfortunately return uh, or recur uh, earlier. Um than others and um, but most of the time at five years uh, that the likelihood of recurrence goes down significantly but I still continue to follow patients at least once a year thereafter and what are some of the symptoms of breast cancer what are some of the things that uh, you know people can look out for mm -hmm. just at home day to day well first um, first there's there are typically 
um, no symptoms. If it's found on a screening mammogram, there are no symptoms. Um, and so uh, everybody's, you know, obviously, breast size and breast shape and proportion is completely different. And so sometimes you can't necessarily feel something that's in there. That's, again, the importance of a screening mammogram. Um, but uh, symptoms, it, whenever you do, when there are symptoms, uh, most of the time you feel a mass or a lump in the breast. Uh, and if that is the case, get to somebody as quick as possible, whether it's your primary care doctor, your OBGYN, or even me. Um, uh, at that point, it's worked up with a either a screening mammogram, diagnostic mammogram, uh, and then we just look into it further. Um, but sometimes you can actually get some skin changes, like a very subtle or slight dimpling of the skin where the mass is pulling on the breast tissue. Um, redness um, or dimpling, skin thickening, or what's called edema, which it, where it looks just like it has a lot of fluid in it, um, is a very bad sign. So if you have that, absolutely get to somebody as quick as possible. Um, pain is actually, I want to kind of make a point of this, pain is actually very rarely a sign uh, that there is a, a malignant process or a cancer process going on. So I do see a lot of patients for breast pain. They're like, I was just really concerned that this was something. And in and, and, and all honesty, I've, I've treated about almost 400 patients here, and I've only seen pain be a symptom about two or three times. So not very often not very at all. Not very often at all, yeah. What are some other some of the other problems that people will come in for thinking, you know, this mm -hmm. could be breast cancer, but yeah. in fact it's not? Nipple discharge uh, is one of them. Um, nipple discharge is very rarely associated with breast cancer, but it's actually usually associated with a little bit more of a benign process, but still needs to be kind of worked up and, and make, make sure that it's not. Um, skin rashes that happen to be on the breast. Um, a lot of times people say, oh, I was worried about this rash, but it's just a rash that happens to be on the breast, and so people get concerned about that. Uh, it's very often uh, that I see sebaceous cysts, which is like a little uh, collection of skin cells uh, underneath the skin that people think it's a breast cancer. Um, you said very often or pretty, not very often? Very often. Very often, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, and they usually are kind of in the, the center part of the breast, right by the sternum or the breastbone. Um, sometimes in the armpit area. Um, so it, mastitis or, you know, breast infections, things like that, that people think that they could be breast cancer, and they certainly could. Um, one of the other things is uh, bre breast changes during uh, breastfeeding or pregnancy is also pretty common, and people are like, oh, I was really concerned this was breast cancer based on my mom's history or things like that. Um, but they shouldn't be ignored. Yes, certainly there are breast changes during pregnancy, lactation, um, but if something is there and persistent, meaning it stays, um, absolutely get it checked out. But if it's something that is there and then goes away after, you know, two weeks as a, as a general time frame, um, that's you know, probably not associated with anything bad. And are you also seeing, you know, the spouse of the person say, you know, hey, I really think, you know, I tried to encourage my wife to come in sooner, but it took her this long to come in here. Sure. Are you seeing that a lot too, where women are, you know, just pushing it off saying, hey, yes. I, I don't need to go really, yes. I really don't. And, and then it's the husband or, it's, yeah. you know, whoever they're with saying, yeah, you do. Fortunately, that's pretty rare, um, but but yes, I do see that. Um, denial is very, very real. Uh, most of the time uh, when I see that, it's just they don't, they probably know in the back of their mind what it is, but just don't 
really want to do that. Or uh, another thing that I see is people with young children or even uh, middle school age children. The children are busy. They don't want to disrupt their lives. They don't, you know, their or their husbands are either working a lot or just they, they feel bad that they might have a problem that needs to be looked at and they need to be taken care of because they're used to being the caregivers. Uh, so I, a lot of times I see women will put their own health on the back burner for other people. And usually if it's a cancer process, they present at a later stage or sometimes not curable. So after you detect, you know, this is breast cancer after they have the surgery, how long is it before they're able to get back to just regular day-to-day activities? It depends on what surgery they choose. Um, and so um, breast conservation or saving the breast um, is a, a bit quicker to recover from, from, but does require some other treatments thereafter, typically radiation. Um, and so you're, a little, you're able to get kind of on your feet um, a little bit faster than that. Um, a mastectomy uh, t- on average is about four to six weeks of recovery process, and that's depending on whether or not you have uh, reconstruction uh, of the breast or not. Um, but certainly, there's, there's typically fewer things that you need to do uh, to treat the, treat the, or finish the treatment of the cancer after that. So it's a little bit heavier on the front end, lighter on the back end. So during those treatment stages, are you seeing, or is the patient seeing a loss of hair, morning sickness every single day, you know, sickness throughout the day, throwing up? I mean, are these things that we hear with other cancers the same thing that they're going to go through with, with breast cancer treatment? Fortunately, the need for chemotherapy um, is really only for certain subtypes of breast cancer, um, and that, that treatment decision is uh, made by the medical oncologist. Um, but obviously, if chemo is needed, then yes, it can cause some of those symptoms um, and side effects of you know hair loss, uh, vomiting, you know GI upset, things like that. Uh, but surgery, no, not typically, unless it's related to you know anesthesia or you know pain medicine use, things like that. Is there an actual cure for breast cancer other than removing the cancer itself, or is that something that scientists are still working on? Uh, A little bit of both. Um, We cure breast cancers every day. Some are more curable than others um, uh, long-term. But unless it's stage four, uh, all breast cancers are considered potentially curable. Uh, And so that's what we pursue is uh, treatment to, uh, to cure it. Um, now there are some subtypes of breast cancer that sometimes we can just, if a patient's not healthy enough to go through a surgery, we can sort of keep it at bay or keep it from progressing with, uh, anti-estrogen medications. Again, that's only if it, um, is what I would call estrogen receptor positive. Uh, so sometimes when patients are not healthy enough to have a surgery, certainly non-surgical options are available. Uh, but if a patient is healthy enough for surgery, uh, typically surgery is still recommended in one form or fashion. For the stage four diagnosis of breast cancer, does that automatically mean they're not going to survive or is there a big chance they will survive? Uh, That's a a good question. Certain subtypes of breast cancer um, are harder to treat than others. uh, And certain places that the breast cancer goes to are harder to treat than others. I have seen patients live, you know, five, six, ten years uh, with, with metastatic breast cancer. At some point, uh, you know, there's first-line treatments, second-line treatments, third-line treatments um, in terms of of medicines and things like that that can be used. Uh, But ultimately, most patients will progress at some point, and whether it's the breast cancer or something else um, that takes their life, you know, that's kind of a a question It's hard to answer. But people can live with metastatic breast cancer for some time. We have some treatments available for that, too. You know, like some forms of cancer, I know lots of forms of cancer spread very quickly throughout the body. Is breast cancer one of those? 
Um, triple negative breast cancer is one of those, uh, unfortunately. Uh, certain people will respond very well to chemotherapy, meaning the chemotherapy actually kills the cancer cells prior to going to surgery. Uh, that gives us an idea that after surgery, once the pathologist looks at the tissue, if they have what's called a complete pathologic response, meaning the whole tumor is now dead cancer cells essentially um, that are not there anymore or are significantly reduced, that tells you that very likely um, the chemotherapy treated the other cancer cells that might or may or may not have been in the rest of the body that could form a recurrence as a stage four at that point, if that makes sense. So yes, that is one that does spread earlier. HER2 positive breast cancer also spreads earlier than um, non or HER2 negative or ER positive breast cancer. So again, all, without giving you a full-on breast cancer lesson, yes, there are uh, different types and subtypes of breast cancer, some of which are worse to have than others, um, but the worst ones to have are triple negative or HER2 positive, uh, especially inflammatory breast cancer. It needs to be treated rapidly. Again, Dr. Lindsay Keith with us this morning, who practices right here in Murfreesboro at St. Thomas Rutherford. And uh, when we come back, I, I want to know about the aftercare, because I hear a lot about well, you know, there's groups that meet for, you know, after you recover from breast cancer, there's groups who meet to talk about some of the things you're going to go through when recovering from breast cancer. But I want to hear more about that and, and maybe the importance of joining some of those groups uh, in just a second, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, time right now, 840. You're tuned to WGNS. Stay with us. We will be right back. Dr. Lindsay Keith with us this morning talking about breast cancer. While we're all hiding indoors from the heat, this is a great time to pick up some new toys to keep your pets entertained. This is Amanda from Animal City. We have a wide variety of products for small pets and their people and the critters themselves to add to your family. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. And don't let your pet go unprotected from fleas and ticks. We have a wide variety of products to suit most needs and budgets. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Family Restaurants. Do you know somebody who has moved far away and is missing eating at Demas's? Well, Demas's Family Restaurants now offers many of our sauces and some of our food, such as pot roast and soup, to be shipped all across the nation. It's very simple. You just go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com and you can send an order to anybody as a gift all across this nation. You can send an order to anybody. Go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. I spent 17 years in the military police corps. I wound up in forensic sciences. He's learned from the who's who in forensic science. I worked with Dr. Pierre Fink, and he was one of the pathologists who assisted in the autopsy of President Kennedy. 
I worked with at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. I studied gunshot wounds, and I was asked to examine the ball that was removed from President Lincoln's head and identify it as being the proper one. I had to go to Ford Theater and look through all the medical reports. Another case was much closer to home. A grave had been tampered with in Franklin, and part of her body was found, and it was sent to Dr. Bass in Knoxville. His assumption at the beginning of the investigation was that this was a fresh body, and it turned out he was killed in the Battle of Franklin back in the Civil War and he had been embalmed with arsenic at the time, and that was a good preservative. Dr. Bass said that he made a mistake by about 100 years on it. A different veteran story from retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. If you know a veteran you'd like to highlight, let WGNS know, and we'll honor them in our daily salute to veterans. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Time right now, 845. You're tuned to WGNS again on this Tuesday morning, today the 12th of October. And this morning we're talking a little bit about breast cancer. And with us today, Dr. Lindsay Keith. And you do surgery for those who battle through breast cancer and and of course you're there through the start of the practice as well diagnosis all of that stuff correct yep i see patients through um uh, screening process diagnostic process biopsy uh, and then surgery and then thereafter that's called the survivorship um, or surveillance period so after uh, all of the treatment processes are done I continue to follow patients typically very closely within the first two years uh, and then sometimes very closely within the first five years usually every six months uh, and then yearly after that uh, forever because you know, again, after that five-year mark, the risk of a recurrence is incredibly low, but it's not zero. And so my goal would be to always catch those as early as possible so that we can treat them in a way that does not affect somebody's survival or their ability to fight it again. So five years down the road, that's when you start seeing them once a year or? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, once yep. a year. Once a year, typically, if they have breast tissue, meaning they've been able to save their breast, uh, usually I do a screening mammogram once a year, uh, along with what I call a clinical breast exam. So a breast exam by a medical professional um, once a year, um, and then just yearly after that, uh, what I usually say is for, for as long as we go shall live. Um, and then... If you don't have breast tissue, meaning you've had a bilateral mastectomy, then I typically just do physical exam. That becomes your new mammogram, essentially. 
And, you know, before that break, we were talking about some of the aftercare that somebody will receive after they go through the removal of the cancer. Then they, you know, a lot of them join, I guess, support groups in a sense and, and, and work with each other on what what are they working on? I, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> what I found is that um, everybody's completely different, um, both while they're going through treatment and afterwards uh, as to their likelihood to be involved in any of those um, programs or their willingness to be involved. Uh, some people are very still very private uh, about uh, their experience and what their, their journey and what they're going through. Um, I find that many of the younger ones uh, are typically ones that will reach out and try to be involved in a, a group, whether it's a um, uh, you know a group on social media or a local group, things like that, because usually when you're younger, you have younger children and, and need a little bit more of a support group. But everybody is completely different in that respect. You, you know, then you have those who are the exact opposite and they are very vocal about sure. it and they will try to let everybody they know you know, hey, th- this is something you need to look out for. Sure. Uh, correct. Yeah. And some people become ex- extremely um, adamant about being an advocate, uh, both for the screening process and um, um, and also, you know, talking about their journey. Uh, and I do, I, I recommend that certainly because I think it's helpful for them to share their story. But at the same time, um, I also find, and I, and I very much say this in every single one of my uh, cancer discussions, is that um, the, the first thing that typically happens is, when people share that they have a breast cancer diagnosis, people will start coming out of the woodworks and trying to tell them about their story, their journey, what they should do. Um, but I find that that is often uh, the intent is to be helpful, uh, but a lot of times it's actually very unhelpful uh, for the person that's going through that right then and there. It may scare them. It may, I, I mean, I could yeah. go in any, any direction, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes, like I said, it's very helpful. And some, most of the time, though, it's, it's not very helpful. I'm not, so I'm not saying keep your journey to yourself. Absolutely be vocal about your journey if you want to, but also realize that everybody's breast cancer and everybody's personal situation is completely different. Are there other cancers that will form near the breast that sometimes people will assume is breast cancer right off the bat uh, before sitting down and actually talking to you more? Uh, that that's an interesting question. Actually, not necessarily near, um, except for you know lymph nodes that are swollen uh, and on one or both sides. Most of the time, those are just benign lymph nodes, but sometimes a biopsy of the lymph node is required. So lymphomas can certainly show up that way. Um, but I've actually seen uh, just a few times actually other breast cancers. I'm sorry, other cancers from somewhere else in the rest of the body go to the breast uh, and actually form a tumor there or a mass there that it's actually not breast cancer at all but it's just a cancer within the breast most of the time those are um, distant metastasis or distant spread from a a cancer from somewhere else to the breast I've seen that for melanoma Uh, I've seen it for renal cell carcinoma or kidney cancer Um, I've seen it for uh, multiple myeloma so there are interestingly it's thyroid cancer there are other cancers that can show up in the breast that are not breast cancer at all so when that happens, are you going in there doing the surgery, or is it somebody, somebody else who does that surgery? Uh, typically, surgery is not really indicated at all, or not really done for that at all. And the reason is, is because that usually means that whatever cancer they have or had uh, has already spread to a different location. So that would be technically for most breast, for, sorry, for most cancers, that means it's stage four. And so whatever treatments um, they will need um, are not typically surgical. So just because it is stage four, that doesn't always mean that 
it's a death sentence. No, absolutely not. No, um, it, it means that surgery is typically not done, and there are uh, a few except, exceptions for that, um, but it typically means that they're going to have systemic treatments or treatments to kind of control the disease or keep it from sp- spreading further, keep it from spreading uh, in places that will affect their uh, uh, morbidity or their, their lifestyle. What is the number one thing somebody can do just to kind of stay aware of their body just to make mm-hmm. sure that you know they don't have cancer of any sure. type? I mean, what, sure. what can they do to watch out? I guess this is going to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, but stay off the internet because (laughs) (laughs) listen to your body. Uh, When it comes to breast cancer, know your breasts. Um, And it sounds kind of silly to say that, but one of the things I definitely tell my patients is you're with your breasts more often than anybody else. And so if there's a a mass or a lump that you find or something that's different about your breast, um, watch it initially um, but if it doesn't go away certainly get it looked at because very very likely it's not something cancerous but if it is we need to you know get on it as soon as possible uh, other symptoms in the rest of the body uh, a lot of people will get on you know dr google very quickly uh, and try to start self-diagnosing but the, the truth is is that you really kind of need to be looked at uh, by somebody uh, who can tell you whether it is something to pursue or is not how often do people come to you and say, you know, well, I looked on Google and it says this, this, and this, and looks like, you know, I'm not going to be here long. Yeah. Um, rarely do they say I'm not going to be here long, but I, <laughs> I have had a few patients who um, uh, were really just completely controlled by the fear uh, and the unknown and the, um, you know, what am I going to do about this? I'm not going to be here. And I try to talk them down as obviously as best as possible because, you know, they may have something bad going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a death sentence. Yeah. Hey, it seems like Google could drive a whole lot more fear and cause a lot of anxiety in somebody than than really needs to be there. There's a lot of things <laughs> that are doing that these days, un- uh, unfortunately. So actually what I'm prescribing uh, more than anything lately is to unplug um, from all of those things that are driving fear and anxiety. Is there... I guess as we close this morning, because we have like six minutes left, but as we close this morning, is there anything that you would say to somebody who maybe just got that diagnosis of breast cancer and they don't really know what type it is yet, they just know they've got breast cancer? Sure. Um, Usually I'm the one that calls them and tells them that they have breast cancer, and at that point when I call them, that's all the information I have. Um, And I'm assuming that it's very similar for uh, for other physicians. Um, But I really need uh, all of the information about the breast cancer before we can have a good, meaningful discussion. Um, But just know that, uh, again, most of the time breast cancer is curable. Uh, There are some things that you're going to have to go through. It doesn't need to be scary. You just need to find somebody that you trust uh, that can walk you through that process and is going to be there with you. And how do you go about finding the perfect doctor for your personality? Sure. Personalities, absolutely, they're very different. Um, I try to meet the patient where they're, where they're at, uh, whether it's uh, completely overwhelmed with fear. Uh, again, I do my best to talk them down. Um, but most of the time, um, you can pretty well tell on your first meeting with a surgeon whether, as to whether or not you're going to uh, get along or mesh. Should people get a, a, a second opinion whenever they get that first diagnosis of breast cancer i never uh, ever discourage getting a second opinion um because i think um well first of all i don't have any anything to hide but if it's one of my patients that wants to to go get a second opinion i always encourage it and the truth is is ultimately the patient's going to do better if they're comfortable with how everything is handled um from start to finish and so if one of my patients wants to go to get a second opinion absolutely go do it if you want me to take care of you 
I'm happy to take care of you. If you want that other person to take care of you, absolutely, whatever you're comfortable with. But I guess when it comes to a second opinion on the cancer diagnosis, you're not getting necessarily a second opinion from what's going to be done. You're hoping to get a different answer, I guess, Mm -hmm. from the test results itself. And that that comes from a lab, right? Sure, yeah, it comes from the pathologist. Um, when, whenever we get a patient that is, has transferred from somewhere else or had their biopsy somewhere else, uh, we uh, at Ascension, we like to uh, review the slides uh, just to make sure from, um, from literally the microscopic level that everything is correct. Uh, it's very, very rare that, um, that the opinion is different. Um, from the pathologic standpoint, um, but sometimes patients are um, talked to from the surgical standpoint, talked to for about 10 minutes and say, this is your option or this, uh, pick one. And that's not really the best way to handle that approach. If anybody has questions about anything we talked about this morning, where can they go for better answers as opposed to Google? <laughs> uh, there, there is some good information out there, but there's a lot more bad information. I would avoid any blog posts, anything on social media. Uh, American Cancer Society, Society typically does have good information about breast cancer. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be vague, um, but um, I don't necessarily have a way for people to ask me directly per se at this point. But there is a, um, there is a uh, virtual seminar coming up um, on October 26th. Uh, from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Um, with breast surgeons that I know and trust. Um, and it is a virtual meeting, uh, and a panel of them will actually answer questions, uh, discuss the program, health screenings, and other ways to support breast health. So people can learn more about that through St. Thomas Rutherford, and, and I guess it's going to be, you said virtual, so people can do this from their own home. Correct. It's a, Apparently you can register at Ascension St. Thomas Facebook event page. Okay. So we'll look out for that, and we'll, we'll post it whenever we have more information on it. But again, uh, if somebody has information or has questions, sure. I guess that would be the place to go sure. for those virtual meetings or, sure. or whatever, mm-hmm. or ask their just regular general practitioner mm-hmm. doctor. Sure. And if you're, if you're local and, and your primary care physician uh, thinks that maybe you need to discuss uh, your personal situation and, um, and family history and things like that with me, I'm absolutely happy to see you. All right. Sounds good. Again, Dr. Lindsay Keith with us this morning. And is your office at St. Thomas Rutherford or is it outside the hospital? How, it's, you know? at, it's at 1800 Medical Center Parkway. Uh, currently, we're in Suite 400. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. News comes your way next. The time right now, 857. You're listening to WGNS. There is an underground civilization underneath of the North American continent. It's coast to coast AM overnight every night on WGNS Murfreesboro. Skies become mostly sunny here this afternoon with a high in the low 80s. Winds out of the southwest of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy, alone near 63. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 69.